You sore at all today? Key. Um, no. All good. Sore, soreness check if you're if you're sitting and watching. So, let us know in the comments where do you hurt. I got like left quad pain. My sore right today. now. See, I'm like. Define sore, like muscle soreness or just like being like injured and Cause that because that's the say muscle soreness or or injured. Yeah. Which is the other one. Yeah. Cause uh, no muscle soreness today, even mm. though we trained yesterday. But I also didn't do like anything extreme. Actually the the climb I thought would give me some soreness because I did it several times. Mm-hmm. But no. Is that why you couldn't crimp the door when we came in? Maybe, or it's because my like fingers were really dry. Uh, we got we got this uh, door that leads up to the gym that doesn't actually have a handle on it, so you can't key entry into the door. You can exit, but you can't get in yeah. properly. And we always leave it open a crack. And I discovered today that Tom's tech is to like crimp it. My my tech is to to go in the horizontal portion of the door and just try to pry it open, but you, you do like a crimp. I try to crimp the wind, the little window Yeah. on purpose. Like it's not like, I'm not choosing the easy way is what. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you don't do the easy way. You have the slightly, yeah. you have like the medium way. Yeah. I, I know, I learned that uh, Jackson and Lucas do top, oh. top of door, which okay. is the easiest way mm -hmm. to do it. Um, but I, I purposely choose the hard way because that my friends is parkour. Yeah, this is, <laughs> that's also, I just realized like this is such a parkour gym thing as well because any other business would have installed something <laughs> to, uh, but no, we're just gonna keep the door open a tiny, we have a little mat slid under so it stays open a tiny crack and then you gotta choose your own adventure, choose yeah. your own challenge. Yeah, I can't believe I failed it, I never fail it. Like I've, mm -hmm. I've been oh, they say yesterday, successful with that. Climbing a, quite a bit, so. No, I feel good. No, just dry? Just dry, dry okay. hands. That's not a the, strength issue. It's a, it's a, it's a grip issue. I should have, uh, you know, moistened my hand before I did mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I got some. I got some left. Uh, this left quad. I don't, because I went. Uh, what day was that? Two. So the day before. Yeah. Wow. It's okay. It's Thursday today. We're recording this on. Yeah, a Thursday. I was gonna say we're late. We're late. Yeah. We should have. This should have been up on Wednesday, but uh, it's not. Here we are. <laughs> But it was Tuesday, uh, I went on a bike ride with Lucas, and I think it was maybe one of the first climbs we did. I felt, you know when you like overstrain? So it's not, it's not like a muscle tear, but you just feel like a muscle flex. And it, yes. and it feels really tight, and I think it happened really oh, early. This is, uh, so this was Tuesday, did you, you guys went to Lynn Valley? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice. That's yeah. why, that's why this is late. <laughs> yes, actually, that's true. You did a cold dip? Did a cold dip. Um, and I thought, obviously, we, I, <laughs> obviously. I, I, this is, this is my problem as I'm always, always over optimistic with time, but I thought I was going to make it back in time. Yeah. Did not. So my punishment is I'm still, it's two days later and I'm still sore. There from, you go. <laughs> went for a recovery session. Yeah. And ended up getting uh, more sore because then, then we trained on top of that yesterday. Um, well, you biked all the way to, how far of a bike ride is that? It was like an hour each way. Yeah, so on on a on a fixie on a recovery day. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, a leisurely pace. You know, we're not racing or anything. Um, I don't know. It should have. There's some big hill climbs some, though. Well, see, but we didn't go all the way up to Lynn Canyon. There's a lower part that oh, okay. Lucas so just, introduced yeah, me to, and gotcha. that was part of the draw. But I think 
probably going to drive next time. Yeah. It was a good, although uh, we did, I did find uh, uh, at least one new spot on the way. So, oh, like so a, I think we should have a sesh. Like a, like a architecture or like um, it's a newish, boulders? No, no, no. It's a newish building. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. And yeah, there's also um, the, the area we went to for the dip. There, there was like this ascent, descent sort of feature with some, some boxes and, and things that I think we could have some fun on. So I think, I think actually as like a summer session going to this area, there's an area called, uh, I think I actually found on the map called Blue Pools is where we went. And so it's, okay. it's down in like Lynn Creek, so not Lynn Canyon where the waterfalls are, but down lower there's, it's pools, there, there's some pools. <laughs> there are some awesome spots in North Van that are completely untapped. Yeah. And so we need to, we definitely need to spend some time up there Yeah. and sesh and then maybe go to the, to the pools after do a little that, uh, that would be the day post uh post sesh recovery yeah I, although you're not supposed to do cold after are you not after exercise i don't no, know no, no. what's the science say now yeah so it's all over it's the gonna place. change tomorrow it's all over the place yeah i was watching um my my my, my boy israel adesanya preparing for his Your fight boy. this weekend and uh i'm terrified that he might lose um i'm gonna be watching it like this but anyways he he apparently like trains two or three times a day and does cold like in between each of those sessions. Interesting. This is wild to me. There's a guy that comes to the gym, Trevor, that does that. He come he does he told me he does like three cold plunges a day. Nice. And I don't know what he does for work. Sounds like he does that for work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just that. Yeah. <laughs> I get paid to plunge my body in the cold water. Uh, <laughs> hey, sounds like a tough job. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just suffering. From are me. we ever gonna? Are we ever gonna get a, a cold? Uh, get some some cold dips in the in the. Oh, this could be a good facility. segue. This could be a good. That, segue. That's exactly why mm-hmm. I said it. Why did you have to ruin mm-hmm. the segue by I, talking about it by calling out the I segue? Like to, I like to call out the segue. I'm trying to give you trying to give you props for the segue. I mean, here. I appreciate the props that you could yeah. have told me after. Yeah. Okay. So I'm actually like, that was such a great segue, Tom. Well. well <laughs> Well, I actually want to talk about the segue a bit here. Okay, let's, um, let's segue the segue. By the way, are segways like the, the thing? Are, the, are they still a thing? Oh, yeah, Or did yeah, yeah. e-scooters like replace that? I think they're still a thing. Still, you can still segue I mean, around? They're like old technology, though. Yeah, yeah. The Segway. Remember that? I do remember that. <laughs> and, and they were like the dumbest things. Okay, but you were, you were talking about getting a cold... Uh, apparatus tub yeah whatever it is in the gym and I am actually getting more serious about it because the water's getting warmer outside oh yeah so I went from ocean like the last ocean dip I did I was like doesn't I'm not suffering anymore yeah so this isn't enough so I've moved to glacier fed yeah and I was talking to my um, (laughs) talking to my barber yesterday about this because he's obsessed with um like the ice tub oh, so yeah. he goes to Tality spa and i haven't made that commitment because that's 30 dollars to do a cold dip and i'm sure it's nice you know they, they put the ice in for you and then there's a there's a, a sauna there's a sauna right next to you um and so i'm kind of of two things i either need to buy something for the gym 
or I need to book ahead for Tality Spa, which by the way, apparently is booming and they're franchising. Yeah, now. I was gonna say yeah. that, I was gonna okay. tell you that. Yeah, they're, mm. they're franchising. So maybe, maybe the franchise happens downstairs. <laughs> well, I don't see, and I don't think I would buy into a, a franchise. I'm assuming it includes it their, own. yeah, I'm assuming the franchise opportunity includes like their kombucha and everything, and that's oh, probably, or, or the branding around it, but I don't see why someone couldn't just start a cold exposure business, because it, and at least in Vancouver right now. There's a few of them popping up now. Yeah, yeah, in Vancouver it is, it is huge. I'm curious if anyone else... Um, in other cities, like is it is it because it feels big in Vancouver? It feels crazy popular. The the cold plunge. They're always booked up. Yeah. Um, but the real the real place to go is in Whistler, which is Scandinavs. But they don't like theirs. Isn't do they have ice tub now? No, they don't do ice tub. They but just, it's like freezing cold water. It's yeah. Like, well, if you go now, yeah, like yeah. in the summer, it's not as cold. It's still cold. It's it's cold, but it's not as. I mean, it's like yeah. <laughs> it's like going into the glacier-fed water in okay. the summer, right. where it's like gets a little bit warmer. Yeah, it's also really expensive. It is, but it's like <laughs> a super bougie experience, yeah. and it's it like I come, I always leave there like feeling like like a million bucks. Yeah, it's a great place. Feels very anime when I go yeah. <laughs> to Scandinavia. Spot. Uh, there's also a place close to here that does only group bookings oh, okay. that, that opened recently. I think it's on Great Northern Way, actually. So when I say close to here, like eight blocks away. Okay. Yeah. Crazy business opportunity. I think there's like a secret spa over on like Terminal. <laughs> or no, not Terminal, Industrial. Oh, we might be talking about the same one. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And I think they're opening another one like yeah. over in the, in the west side. Yeah, I think it's a it's a bubble that's going to... Like I think it's it's very popular right now. Yeah, there's um, there's pretty clear benefits just even from like the dopaminergic <laughs> pathways that open up from a pretty clear benefits. But I think there is also this like added novelty that is bringing a lot of people into it. Of like, ooh, let's go do the cold plunge, right? And then there's um, there's probably a bunch of placebo that's eventually going to fade for people, and so I think interest is going to. It's gonna die down, but it is. I don't know if it's reached its peak, but it's it's uh, it's on the rise. See, I don't know. Like, okay, I I agree. It's like trendy now, mm -hmm. and it might got, die down. But I think you feel really good after. So if so, it's like I don't think the placebo is gonna go away because I think there is like a there's something going on neurochemically that's like making you feel good every time you do it. Mm -hmm. So I doubt it's gonna like. People are gonna get. It's gonna get old for people. Yeah. I think the trendiness of it might die down. Mm -hmm. um, but there's like there's been this really long time movement of like self care in general, and yeah. I think this is kind of like an extension of that self care mm -hmm. uh, mindset of like, oh yeah, treat yourself, you know. So I can imagine a place in the city doing really well mm -hmm. with treat yourself kind yeah. of mentality around it yeah. and maybe include massage therapy like Scandinavia does. And it's, it's interesting too because it also, it killed cryotherapy. Like cryotherapy never took off here. No one wants to pay $100 for like a three minute set. That's how much, that's, it's 100 plus, like when I say 100, that was five years ago. So I have no idea what it is now. So it's over $100 for sure 
to do a three-minute cryotherapy so, treatment. So we did the cryotherapy like that one time in LA, right? Yeah, that was like and, thirty bucks. And the, yeah, 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 but it was it was like easier to do than cold plunge. Yes. So it's like mentally, okay, I could go into a cryotherapy like mm-hmm. chamber or whatever, and feel more okay about doing like mentally going into that than like, mm-hmm. oh, I got I have to get in this cold water yeah. and stay in there for. But that's also why I think the the cold water works better, at least for like the again like the the, the dopamine and everything because mm-hmm. you're because it's hard you're doing something hard you're you have to prepare to suffer a little bit mm-hmm. uh, until until you get used to it. And but then, here's the thing: is like cryotherapy, like how much does that machine cost relative yeah. to like water and ice? You know, you just change out the water and mm-hmm. ice and then ready for the next person. But I feel like it's way it's a way cheaper way to run the business and mm-hmm. like you said i think it's you get more out of it when you go into the water than if you go into just like this cold yeah. air but that's also the layer that i think might end up killing the booming business of of cold dip spas is the fact that you got to get up for it you know and you got to pay for it so it's it's a business here's where we segue it's a business that you got to well, you start talking about already. parkour again you ruined uh, my segue this is this is still parkour this is still parkour <laughs> theme um, but it's it's a business where you are paying to do the work yeah much like parkour much like much parkour. like a parkour gym where you're you're paying wow killer segue to do the work coming in <laughs> huh? um yeah, yeah. All right, we'll take that segue. Um, Nothing so, else to add about cold dips, no? No, I'm done. No. I mean, well, when, <laughs> when are we getting one here? You never answer the question. <laughs> Possibly this summer. Okay, okay, there we go. Um, yeah, that would be pretty cool. It would Instagram be- keeps feeding me different ones, so... You know, <laughs> I also cold get the, plunge tank. I also get, I also get the uh, sauna ads. The, uh, the, oh, for sauna, like... Nuka saunas or whatever. Oh, okay. Like they're just crushing me with ads. <laughs> it's like I live in a condo. I can't. <laughs> I don't have anywhere to put this <laughs> giant sauna. Okay, so you have to do the work at a parkour gym. You do. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a service. So we uh, we live in and and uh, kind of wanted to have this talk today because I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast don't own gyms but a lot of them are gym users and also uh gym workers so coaches um things like that and there is a there's a problem with parkour gyms wow <laughs> let's frame the problem what's the problem with the parkour gym so we just talked about like the the product right the product is a service product that you're selling to someone but they got to come in and do the work yeah it's it's playful it's we've uh, we've kind of proven that it's it's definitely more fun for most people than conventional exercise mm-hmm. so that's like a uh, a sell point but it's still got to come and do the work but the problem is a, a lot of parkour gyms are failing to be recognized by the public by like the the the, the community um, as a really all-in parkour space and it's actually the truth in many cases where there there's gyms that are offering so many other things that aren't getting people to become 
parkourists, if we want to say, or parkour. I was I was gonna go parkour athlete, but you know, someone someone who's parkour in the scene. Players. Yeah. Yeah. So so what you're saying is there's there's not. Um, there's not good integration between, you know, somebody who's a regular member of the public mm -hmm. and then converting them into a ultimately a parkour community member. Mm -hmm. Right. So like somebody who is into the parkour culture may go practice parkour outside mm -hmm. with groups, may eventually travel for jams or competitions or events. Mm -hmm. So why is that? Why is that a problem? Well, one thing is, and I actually want to throw this back to you because you used to talk about this a lot as something we need to do more of, and it still comes up. We talk about how do we get you know, people into the culture? How do we get kids into the culture? We just came back from, from HAL 5 in Belgium, and they're doing some, some very good things to get people into the culture. Some things that you know, we took ideas from, such as Video of the Week and stuff like that. Uh, but you used to... Uh, describe this a lot and compare it to martial arts like capoeira, and I can't remember the words you used because there was there was two there was two right. ways you framed it. So I need you to I need you to share yes. this with me once again, but also everybody else. Well, it it kind of it kind of emerged from a a an idea I was wrestling in my head about coaching parkour, and it felt like for a really long time I am coaching. Not, I'm, not co I'm not getting people integrated into parkour culture the way that I practice parkour, but I'm, I'm teaching what I call secular parkour. So this is like, here are the movements without all of the philosophy, if you will. But the philosophy and the culture of parkour is what really got me into it. So was, am I teaching, ultimately teaching a watered down version of parkour that um, may not end up integrating people into parkour in the way that I ultimately was. What was the other, because secular, was there was another word you used. Uh, like for the other side of it? Yes. Like, oh, um... I don't know if it's okay I, if it's I not there anymore. I had, I don't have it. I don't have it in my head anymore. But I guess to, to rephrase, so what you're saying is that there, you had this belief you were building that in order to get retention from members of the gym, we needed to start changing the way that we we package parkour for them to resemble the reasons why you got into it. Um, some of the things like the be strong to be useful, I think being part of it. I hope I'm getting this right. <laughs> yeah, well, just the general, like the, so we've talked about this before, but parkour has, over the course of my tenure in parkour, it's gone from a discipline-like martial art type activity mm -hmm. to an extreme sport. And it kind of happened all under my nose where I thought I was doing this discipline for a really long time. And that's how I, th I thought of doing parkour and that's how I practiced it. Mm -hmm. And without me even noticing, I just kind of woke up one day and it's like, oh yeah, I'm actually doing an extreme sport. Yeah. And it just well, flipped. It's interesting because like both of those, I don't want to get too far away from the subject, but both of those are like performance driven. 
and that's probably why it felt because I, I I feel very similar. It's like I was, you know, I was practicing a discipline, and I'm much more lighthearted about that feeling now because really the the connection between the two between an extreme sport or something even um, the playful side of parkour um, and discipline is is both it, I, through throughout the the transformation I guess. I was still just practicing for performance. So I didn't really change the way I practiced, but I did start to change how I thought about or like what it meant to me, right? Because before I was like sold on this idea of like, yeah, the di- it means a lot to me because it's, it's a discipline when I don't think it ever really did. I think I was just tied to the performance element of like progression, just like pushing myself through progression. And then those were like little additional things. Um, I don't know how, but like, do you, were you, do you still feel like in the early days you were really tied to the, the, the mantras and like the discipline of parkour? Yeah, I think that kind of sold me on it more. I mean, like when I saw, first saw David Bell doing manpower gap and, and various other massive gaps or like the, the whole district B13 chase scene that happens in, in that film is is really was really inspiring to me it's like wow this guy is moving it reminds me of jackie chan which i grew up watching jackie chan's movies and uh but he's clearly doing this all himself uh there's no wires the whole point is to kind of just use your body to to accomplish these feats and i felt like um i was like wow that's like superhuman like abilities and i wanted to to do that and so um, so that's kind of what first captured it was the idea of, uh, just kind of becoming like almost superhuman. But what kept me in it was like, oh, there's actually like this whole culture around it. And whether that culture is, you know, it's a discipline, be strong to be useful, um, to be into last, all these mantras that were touted in the, you know, early 2000s. Um, or, or whether that's just like the culture that I'm surrounded by now, where we have a, a culture of like events and sharing knowledge and uh, sharing ideas and kind of being playful, whatever it is, it was the culture that attracted me to it. And now to tie it back into the gym is I feel like while we're not teaching parkour in the same way that I learned about parkour, we're still providing a community space that's integrating people into their own kind of culture. And now there is a difference between the greater culture of parkour and the subculture of the gym. Mm-hmm. And I wish that that was a little bit more integrated, but there, but we are still providing a good quality cultural experience within the gym community. And so that's how I've rectified it in my mind. Right. And so you said the word like gym community, and that's actually how I, I frame the, uh, the problem is if you have uh, the, the gym problem, the parkour industry problem, the parkour gym industry problem is there's a lack of community building. And that kind of sounds like something that if you if you're a gym member, say you're going for open gyms, say you're going for classes uh, or if you are a gym coach and you feel like, yeah, there is no community here. That's actually something that's tough to sell to the owner um, if the owner is someone who's not really a practitioner, which isn't necessarily 
the end of the world. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's not something that's gonna like really sell them on, on the idea. But the thing that a community does is it also builds client retention, which is an important thing for any business, is you want returning clients. And so there's, there's certain things that we've done at the gym starting, like when I realized this was a problem was probably, I'm gonna say like 2018 or whatever. At some, at some point we can go into like the highs and lows of abortions, parkour <laughs> through different means, but I don't wanna get into that today. But basically at like 2018 was when I realized like, okay, I didn't know anything about marketing, still don't really know anything about marketing, um, <laughs> starting to learn, but, uh, what I did understand was like the product that we've been building and that sometimes people were leaving, right? Um, sometimes we have people that were very into it and sometimes we have people who are leaving. And so figuring out like, okay, how do we retain people longer? Because ultimately that's gonna fill up the classes. The other thing is like, you could figure out how to get more money from people, <laughs> you know, raising your prices, maybe a simple way to do that. but. I think the one, the one thing I wanted to talk about today was just like retaining people. And one of the ways to do that is through building a community. And it's probably uh, the simplest way to do it and the most effective in terms of like something like parkour. Um, because parkour is, well, let's talk about like, you know, your average class or session, you know, because we do, we do pretty well here with adult classes, uh, which when I talk to other gyms or even go to other gyms, adult classes tend to be a lot smaller. Sometimes geography plays into that, sure, but at the end of the day, you still have to be able to retain your adult members. And so it's like, okay, what are some things we've done to do that? Well, for one is uh, we end up being able to keep some of our adult members <laughs> through things like band systems, which a lot of gyms have, but even down to like how the memberships are designed, right? Uh, so one thing we, one of the switches that we made about four years ago was simply switching from a model where it was drop-in based, right? Um, like we still had memberships and things, but when I say drop-in based, you paid for a month at a time and then it was kind of out or you paid for like a package to like auto-renewing. So all of our memberships are like on a subscription, they're auto-renewing and so people actually have to take an action to tell us they wanna quit which is a tactic, <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, it gets people to you know, come back because Continue they actually have to say, member. they gotta come in and be like, I wanna quit the gym, or email us and say, I wanna quit the gym. So it's just a really simple thing where you might be able to keep a person for an extra, extra week, or an extra month, or an extra day, just off of having that like auto-renewing um, membership. Um, but the other thing is we, offer, we started increasing our offering for adult classes too. So we have more times where you can come in and take adult classes. Um, so figuring out ways of like looking at a schedule and being like, okay, can I feasibly fit more people in the room? And if the answer is yes, then cool, you can open up another class, maybe call it something a little bit different or, or even overlap classes, right? Uh, and that's something that we've gradually done and continue to do, we keep adding more, right? Um, I wanted to flip this back to you though. <laughs> okay. Um, so another thing is, is we have uh, kind of like mainstays. Um, so we have members that 
Uh, we're going to be putting out a series for this soon where we have like members that have done over 1,000 visits to the gym, right? And I think there's actually a lot of gyms out there that that uh, are able to to achieve that as well. Like they have people who are like they've been coming for five years plus, right? Um, but I'm just wondering, like, with those particular members, because they're people that have stayed beyond the the changes. So beyond some of like the membership changes, they were when we had more of like a uh, a drop in model where you could pay for a package at a time and then and then be out and not be tied into anything or have to take any action. Uh, why do you think some of those people have stuck around? Because a lot of them lean like older as well. A lot of them mm -hmm. are in the thirty five plus or forty plus category. Well, they've gotten good. <laughs> <laughs> They've seen the benefits of parkour. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the that's that's the I mean, that's an obvious thing that we can point to is that they've actually improved over the course of their five plus years. Mm -hmm. So that they've they've actually seen that they could with dedication they can improve at this sport that's difficult to improve at. Mm -hmm. So that's one. The other thing is actually the big one which we've already mentioned, which is community. Like Vancouver also gets this rap reputation of being a cold city, mm -hmm. like socially cold, not like physically cold, so socially cold. So it's like it's hard to meet new people. It's hard to be um, uh, it's hard to be social, like get into new social groups, uh, because by the, especially as an adult, especially as a 35 plus adult, meeting new people is more challenging because people have by that age kind of settled into their own social circle or their family group and that's they're kind of shut off from the rest of of uh of society unless you join an activity like pick up hockey or you know like beer league hockey or soccer you know people who play soccer together on the weekends or whatever it is so i think parkour provides that it's a culture a community where you know if you go on a monday night you're gonna see the same few faces that you see every monday and you have good rapport with them and maybe also this is the other big thing is that our staff skews older as well mm. um we're not the the people who are working at origins aren't teenagers that we hired who were happened to start getting good at parkour it's it's adults who we hire who happen to start getting good at parkour. Um, you know, you and I, we're... It's changing a little bit now. Yeah, it, it's skewing younger. It's starting mm -hmm. to skew a bit younger. But, but even still, it, I mean, m the majority of our staff are 25 plus. Mm -hmm. Or 30. I mean, senior staff. And senior staff. And I, I don't even mean senior in terms of like... <laughs> how old they are. I mean, senior in terms of how long they've been working here, all 30 plus. Yeah. So we're all, we're all over 30. Um, and then we have a, a few others who are like mid to late twenties and then, you know, a, a, a small handful of early twenties. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think Holden was the youngest mm -hmm. at the time and he was 19 when he was working here. Mm -hmm. So, or maybe Vince anyway, either yeah. way there, it, our staff skews a bit older, so we actually can relate with a lot of the, the adult clientele a lot easier, and we can create rapport with them and add to the community. So we're a part of the community just as much as their classmates are. 
So I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, and retaining them as well. Um, the other thing is the opportunity. So I talked about like overlapping classes and overlapping is just creating opportunity for people to come in and get better. Cause you mm. mentioned like, oh, they got better. And it's like, yeah, parkour is more enjoyable the better, the better you, get you get at it, yeah. right? Uh, if I only know how to do it, it can be actually like really unenjoyable. If you don't ha- know how to do like many moves, it can be really unenjoyable because you show up to a spot or you show up to a gym and you're like, okay, I know how to do this move. Um, I don't touch this part of the gym because I can't put, I don't know how to play with any of that. And so that's, that's a problem that needs to be solved as well is, uh, which we, we've done over time. So opening the gym, my, my initial gym design when I didn't know what the heck I was doing over 10 years ago, I made a bunch of stuff that I would have fun on. And over time, I've actually tried to build structures that are going to be easier for people to use, like more beginners to use, because I realized that you can always find the advanced challenges. And sometimes when I'm, when I'm making a tough decision, like when I, when I come to you or, come to, or whatever, and I say like, hey, I'm thinking of removing this wall. It's like, oh, we can't do this and that. And I always kind of come back to the same rule, which is like, how many people can do the thing that we're gonna miss with this structure? <laughs> Versus like, how many people are now gonna be able to use this area because we changed it? Um, and that's another investment, right? That's another, like, if you didn't get it right the first time when you built the gym, that's, an, that's something that you can keep investing. And guess what? Wood uh, and woodwork is, I know wood's more expensive than it used to be. I'm definitely feeling that. But it's still cheaper than so many alternatives for equipment. Like, if you compare it to a fitness gym. Or where, mats. Yeah, or mats. Yeah, mats are crazy expensive. Um, Anything that's like manufactured is crazy expensive compared to like DIY woodwork yeah. and painting, right? So regardless again of like what a gym owner might think or what like you're, if you're a gym owner or you know a gym owner might think you can always make little improvements to structures to make them more user friendly and it's gonna help you retain people because you're gonna make the space more usable. So, so you make the space more usable but then also what I was saying earlier is, is uh, creating more opportunities to train with the time. So you need to have more classes available for people, that's kids and adults, um, but also make the, like we're constantly tweaking our open gym as well. Like we just added some limited open gym time during classes, because again, we got a 6,000 square foot main hall that even on our busiest times, still has pockets of areas where it's like, hey, if you know how to train, you can come in here and use this little pocket and get some, get some moves in, see your friends, see some people, be, be social, and then, and then get out. And get active, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I hate it when you come and ask me about like, oh, what do you think? I'm thinking about mo- removing this thing and I hate it every time. I'm glad you do, but I, I hate it because it's like, because I'm always like attached to whatever's there and mm. I've had to learn over the years like, no, 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 Renee needs to just change it because I will find new opportunities with the change and I can't like be t- too tied to, to challenges um, because it also happens outside, you know? There's been scenarios outside where I've been 
like, oh, I'm going to do this. It's going to be really awesome. And, and then I'll eventually get to it. And then like, I come back to it a month later and it's gone because mm-hmm. they, the, the parkour gods have decided it's no longer going to be there anymore. Um, and you have to be okay with that. So mm-hmm. change is actually part of the sport. And mm-hmm. so, um, so, and, and we've gone through several major and, and minor renovations with, with origins over the years. Um, uh, and every single time there's been new, uh, challenges that have resulted, but also we've gotten rid of some mainstay challenges that are no longer there anymore. Yeah. So, um, and there's actually two, uh, if I can, there's, there's, there's two flaws I actually see with gym building around this subject. So one is continuing to add. Um, and then the other is the solution being, well, everything's modular. Mm-hmm. So the everything, so adding, the problem with adding is you get, you end up with too cluttered of a space. So sometimes you like some of the changes we've made is just removing stuff, mm-hmm. just removing stuff and being like, oh, there's more space here. There's a run up. There's, it opens up this and that. So sometimes actually like removing walls, uh, can have a really positive uh, impact on on your gym and people's ability to use it. But the thing with modular uh, setups, which we're gradually moving away from, when we opened, we had much less fixed structures and a bunch of modular things, and I thought that was the way. But you actually just said this, where attachment, attachment to challenges is a thing. And I think that as as a gym business, you want people to build attachment to the challenge opportunities created by the obstacles in your gym. So you want them to be able to see a progression where they're like, okay, there was a Kong Prix over here and there's a bigger one over here and a scarier one over there and a scary one over there. And you want them to have this like, this map or this journey, this progression they create to look forward to those things. But if you're changing things too often, then they don't get that attachment. And so it is tricky to find that happy medium. We have, I mean, we treat it like outside. It's a spot, right? Origins is a spot. I know that, at least for the time being, there's there's a big lache that I want to do, and I'm going to be building my way up to it by doing smaller ones. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I'll be able to work up to the big one. And so if I... If I don't, if I don't have this opportunity to do this, it's actually harder for me to measure my progress. Mm-hmm. Because if everything in the gym is just a modular piece of equipment, where it's like, all right, a bar to a vault box, and then I just move it further, move it further, move it further. Mm-hmm. Sure, I lashed further, but I didn't work my way up to being able to do a more difficult challenge that was already there that I didn't just incrementally work my way um, towards doing. I think you get a lot more out of that in your practice. Um, but actually, I kind of want to go back for a moment um, about why the um, why some of our like longer standing clients are still coming. Um, and I think um, I think it, there's a lot to be said about um, parkour as a, a fitness and people building habits. Mm-hmm. So if you go, are going every week to your fitness class 
and you're getting, you're noticing these changes in your body, you're getting physically stronger. I mean, we have a, a, an adult client who, when she started, couldn't hang on a wall. Mm-hmm. And now she has better climb ups than 90% of people who come to classes. It's pretty incredible, actually, to see her transformation over the course of her, I think, eight years or nine years of practice. Um, and there's a reason why she continues to come back. She physically got stronger and she's challenging herself every time she's in the gym and she's surrounded by the people that she she you know that have mm-hmm. been that have been kind of pushing her along the, the whole way so um and you know and people build habits you give them the opportunity to build a habit they're going to so i think that's one and, and she's able to come to classes right so that's kind of a uh, a big emphasis on providing opportunities for people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and part of that too, and I, I, uh, I keep going back to this, but like the, the scheduling of times available, yeah. right? Um, so she wouldn't have been able to do that if we only had three adult classes a week. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna get like, if, you're a, if your gym only has three adult classes a week, you're not gonna, I don't know what you're complaining about not being able to build an adult community. You need to have the like you need to have the open gyms available for them. They need to be adult friendly because a lot of open gyms like we have uh, we have things like we've made so many changes to open gym. So we have when you come in for open gym, we have no tag, no hiding. <laughs> right? Those are two like really quick rules. No 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 tag games, no no chase games and no hiding games because if kids are running like think about it as an adult trying to practice if kids are running around um, playing a game, you can't get your parkour practice in. So it doesn't, so you're just not going to come back. You're not going to come back, um, because you can't get your practice in. Well, it's like if, if that was happening, Mm. if that's happening at your parkour gym Mm -hmm. and you can't get your practice in, why are you paying money to go to a a playground when you can just go to the playground and have the same exact experience with kids running around and, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, and then, the other thing, the other move of that is, is, is creating times where if that's not enough, because sometimes it's not enough, sometimes just telling, even telling those two rules, to, it's, it's been a challenge that we still face and we're still trying to solve to get people to understand how the parkour gym works, how the parkour spot works, how like etiquette yeah. works. Even like yesterday, like uh, training outside, we were at a spot where there were like two things going on where like lines were being crossed. And we're trying to figure out ways to communicate. And there was a point too where I was like, I think we could have, I think I said to Lucas, like, we can have better etiquette. <laughs> like, like, I think some of us just don't, because we don't have to do it all the time, you know? Um, but that's, a, that's just like a, a problem with uh, parkour in general, but it gets amplified when you have kids because, or just people that don't understand parkour, people that are just hopping in to like see what the parkour gym is about, parents or whatever. Uh, they can just be like meandering about the space and not understanding that they you're can just be, crossing somebody's line. Yeah, like that you're, you're doing it at the, the wrong time or whatever. And so you, sometimes you need to create uh, opportunities and times where there's adult specific open gym or just um, or kid specific open gym or whatever. If that's what you want to build. Uh, you could also double down on kids and just wait for the kids to get older and then they become. <laughs> but you have to be able to retain them as well because the other thing that happens with gyms is they have too many this is why the adult programs and things are important is because if you just have kids programs eventually you're going to age out your clientele 
And so like, how do you keep someone for five or more years is you have to have things that they can go into. So I, I was thinking about like many of the people who are in, who are a part of our adult community who mm-hmm. have been coming for a long time. Um, I actually think many of them have kind of integrated into parkour culture mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, it's not, ju- I mean, it, a gym, the gym community is a big part of it and the, the activity itself is a big part of it. And, um, uh, and the habit is a big part of it, and the physical changes that they have as a result of it are a big part of it. But now that now they actually have this other layer of, um, they're actually integrated in the culture. They're paying attention to what uh, some of the top athletes are doing, and what some of the you know and whose Instagrams to follow, and um, and finding even community outside of the uh, the gym with you know different people and kind of maybe communicating with them on dms or comments or whatever so i think there's a that's a really healthy thing and and i just wish that we were able to convert more people into the greater culture where they're because because it feels like it happened it sometimes happens almost by happenstance Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, oh, we're lucky that that person got into, into the culture because that's why they stuck around. Yeah. Well, I can, I can tell you a big part of why that happened. Uh, it's, it's events. It's events like we did NEPC. We this did is my this, segue, by yeah, the way. Your, yeah. I, I was, <laughs> You're setting me up? I was setting you up. Here you go. Um, softball. <laughs> um, it's, it's events because, because I can think of a lot of those connections being made. And if you're able to, so there's a couple ways you could do it. You could have, you could have competitions and events. Uh, you could invite guest athletes. You could invite guest athletes to do workshops, jams, uh, these kind of things. Like when we talked to uh, uh, Dylan Poland, who owns Hub, like that's been something that he continues to do and it's always meaningful for him is he, he brings out athletes, has events, workshops with athletes, frequently, frequently does competitions, frequently does jams. And the, the other layer to this uh, that really actually like sparked me wanting to have this, this conversation is that it should not be in the gym's interest to make an immediate return on events. And I'm going to say, say that one more time. <laughs> it should not be in the gym's best interest to make an immediate return on events because that's an investment in your lifetime clients. Because you're trying to retain them, you're trying to create experiences that are gonna motivate them and make them wanna purchase more, be around more, talk to more people, come out of their shell, whatever it is. Bring their friends. Yeah, these, it, sign you're, up their you're kids. doing something that is outside of the norm. And the problem is also, because I know some of the rebuttal to this is gonna be, we tried that and it didn't work. And my answer to that is that if you tried competitions and events and they didn't work, is you probably sucked at it and you need to try again. <laughs> it's, it, I, was, I, was gonna, I was actually gonna say it differently and not that they sucked at it. But, but, like, that but, they're, but they're, we sucked at it. Like, we, like we've put on well, bad events. We've, we've done workshops and stuff that didn't, that didn't do what they were supposed to do. But it's, it's something that is not, you're, the, the idea is that you're, you're trying to add, I'm gonna use the, the, the buzzword value, 
to the experience that you've already created for people. So say you're a gym and you're doing, you're, you're nodding your head along with this conversation, like, yeah, we did this, we did that. Where, you know, we do have adult classes or, uh, and we do have adult members come in and we're doing this thing, is you need to create things that are making it feel special again for the people that you've already retained to a certain point. Because eventually they're like, you must know as a parkour practitioner, like how many of our listeners, you know, fall in and out of interest with parkour. And so if you're trying to create a business around that as a gym business where you're depending on volume of people returning and not having churn, not having people leave, you need to be, again, doing some of the things like making changes to the gym, which are expensive. And I don't automatically get people to come back. Right, like I don't make a new gym structure or take away a gym structure and like that weekend, like, yeah, I made the $3,000 back that we just spent on all the wooden labor to make that, you know, it's not something that happens. Same with uh, an event, like closing down for a weekend with your regular operations to create something exciting, you're going to lose money <laughs> on, on doing that. But it's something we've done from, I, it's just something that I like intuitively felt was meaningful from day one. And that's probably why we've been able to keep doing it is because it was like meaningful from day one. But now looking back and when I think about like, why are we able to retain people and why are they able to find their way into the culture with, even though we had this like secular approach to, to teaching or whatever, that's a huge part of it is, is uh, those, those investment opportunities to change the experience, whether it's again, changing the experience by changing the schedule, change the experience by changing the structures or change the experience by having a, a one-off event. Those things add up over time. Yeah, event, events like, uh, events, competitions, workshops, they might not be profitable in the short term, but in the long term, if you do it enough times, it will pay off in dividends with the retention that you get from clientele. Yeah. Well, here's so, here's the other quick math thing too. For because again, I really want this to be something that uh, anyone listening to this, if you're not a gym owner, but you realize that your gym's not popping off the way you think it can. Another way to sell it is just think about how much you can get from one good client, right? So so like say your unlimited membership, which is what you want to push to someone if you want them to be like really into parkour. You know, if you're really into parkour, you're practicing it all the time. And so you need to have some sort of unlimited option where people come in at least or at least three times a week, you know? So it's like a regular habit. That one client, say, say your unlimited package is, is 200 plus a month. That's $2,400 a year, almost five grand in two years, right? And so if you do one event where you lose that much, but you keep that one person, it does pay off eventually. There is a return on investment. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to point out here is that it's, it's a, you need to lengthen your time horizon for like what your action is, how your action is gonna pay off. So um, yeah, and, and I, think, I think I need to push back a little bit because mm. many parkour gyms don't even see adults as their main clientele. Um, for for learning parkour, mm -hmm. maybe they're selling to parents, but they're primarily going after kids aged seven to twelve, seven to fourteen, maybe. Uh, so that demographic is their primary bread and butter. So why do they need to? Why why should gyms, if they're successful in that demographic, why should gyms 
even try to venture out of that seven to 12 or 14 age demographic? Well, I think you know the answer, but it's those kids are going to quit too. They're, if, particularly if you have if you have an but, age bracket, but then they get another yeah, another but, fresh but fresh then, meat. But then your your business relies on marketing, mm-hmm. and your business relies on sales. Where and you don't have a good product, right? Because a good product is going to be defined by something that people continue to buy, again and again. So if your if your clients have like a two year lifespan, uh, which is still pretty good, like in the fitness industry too, that's like still pretty good, um, but. You know, you can aim higher than that for sure, and you can get people that just stay over time. It's the point, like we have so many kids so now that have been around for like seven, like years, five, five, seven plus years that are just talking about like, can I work here? You know, and a lot of them are way too young because they're only oh, four. Julian Bo- <laughs> and Julian Bodie are both. Yeah, they started at twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, maybe. And they're still practicing parkour, mm-hmm. and they're still clients, mm-hmm. you know. And maybe they've gone through periods of where they weren't around, but um, but they, I mean, I mean, there may be exceptions, <laughs> but mm-hmm. there's also, like you said, there's there's several students that we have who are like, I want to be a parkour coach, you know. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, okay. Uh, and you're ten, and you've been coming for three years. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but I guess like. Uh, I want to continue pushing on this because, okay, let's say I'm, uh, I operate a gym and my primary demographic is kids 7 to 12, 7 to 14. Mm-hmm. That's a five to seven year span where if I get people in at seven, I could keep them for five to seven. They're already a lifetime client. I get mm-hmm. the next person in at seven, eight, age seven. I keep them as a lifetime client. Um, what's wrong with that model? So there's nothing wrong with that model if they can keep them for that five years. Yeah. There's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that model if they can keep them for five years. I think there's a bit wrong in terms of your narrowing your client base, but you can still do really well, and it's been proven. Like, they can still do really, really well in that model. I think you're still gonna miss the mark with people in the community that will, that will complain that they don't wanna go to your parkour gym as, a parkour, as like a really good parkour practitioner because it's a, a kid factory, you know? Um, but in terms of like a business model, it's it's fine. I just think it, it limits, and I think you still do need the older demographic for the kids to look up to. Because where you're like, we also, in, in having an older uh, demographic and having like that progression where you can do kids classes, you can do teen adult classes, you can do teen only classes if you're shy, and then you can go into, and then you can go into teen adult. Um, there's, there's a build and we have, you know, former clients like Holden Clark that is 20 years old and, you know, eventually Holden, yeah, gets, Holden's another example. Yeah. And eventually that. gets, gets hired on and becomes the face that the kids look up to. And, you know, you might say like, okay, well I can get a kid to reach, you know, age 12 or whatever. And then you know, hire them on as a junior coach. I don't think you like, what's the, I don't know what the, the hiring age is, is in, uh, in certain places, but I'm, I'm assuming it's older than 12. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, but like, as you're saying, yeah, it is, it is a workable model. I still think that you're not going to retain kids long enough without doing a lot of the things we said, like, like events, guest athletes, Mm -hmm. um, changing up equipment, and just, just again, trying to, but also just trying to create a product that 
retains people. So band systems, but not just creating a band system. Like your first band system is going to suck. So you're going to need to, you're going to need to retweak it. Your first gym design is going to suck. So you might need to <laughs> just save some, you, you know, remember, save some room for like tweaking your gym design. Do you remember this time moving basics? Yeah. Yeah. That was our first lesson plan, right? It was movement Here. basics. And then once you graduated from movement basics, you could choose between parkour mm. or tricking. Yeah. Right? Yeah, a big, a big retention thing that we applied in 2018 was creating lower tiered like bands because we had, um, so it started with that. And this was uh, because before the gym, um, we were coaching classes, but we didn't have, uh, a, it was just kind of like, you're new and then, okay, some advanced people go over here, whatever. And I think I actually had a belief around uh, not liking bands for a long time and then just be kind of became a necessity. And now I love the concept of bands or belts or whatever you want to do because it just helps group people with people they're going to have more fun with. Ultimately, <laughs> they can still see the, the crazy advanced group over there doing the things and so, be inspired by even it. Then, even then, it's not... I mean, so, it's, so bands are helpful for us as coaches to group people together. It's mm -hmm. helpful for the students to be grouped with people who are similar level. Mm -hmm. But it's also helpful for them to measure their progress mm -hmm. in a way that's semi-meaningful, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you don't need to go through the band system to know that you're improving at parkour. Mm -hmm. But it gives people short-term or longer-term goals to work mm -hmm. towards that are outside of just getting better at the moves. Yeah. And then that is, as you said, a point of retention because then it's like, well, you know, I was thinking about taking some time off, but I'm actually thinking I'm kind of close to that red band now. Mm -hmm. So I might work towards getting red band. And then when you get red band, you're in a whole other group of people. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, now I want to get as good as the best red band student. And then yeah. snowballs up there. Yeah. And do you, do you know what I realized about, cause so we had, we had beginner and then we had red band and our red band hasn't changed too much. It's relatively the same, but we added a yellow and an orange. It has gotten harder. It's got like it a, got little a little bit, bit a little yeah. bit harder, but it hasn't changed too much. And the, the thing is it was, it, in, in our minds being uh, two pe like two people and you know, many of the people that helped start the gym and you know, had some feedback into this, uh, it, it wasn't hard for us when we started to get to that red band level. You know, yeah. um, like I, I would ask like quite like how many months do you think when you started, what did it take you to get to red band? You know, it's like, oh, one, two, maybe my first month, whatever. Um, but that's not the same for someone starting parkour at age 35 or <laughs> um, starting parkour out of shape um, and never doing a sport before. It can take a long time to because our red band is basically like all of your basics. All of your basic movements are in that band. So we created the yellow and the orange, which, bas which basically consist of of movement foundations. I think you you call it or foundations of those movements. And what that is, what what we actually created there that I didn't realize we created when when we added the yellow and orange is we engineered emotional wins that happen earlier, because what you want in a class to retain someone to get them to show up to your next class. Probably the most important thing that you want for someone coming into a, a parkour gym for the first time, if you want to sell them again, is you need to have them have some sort of emotional win during their visit. And that could be like teaching them how to do a shoulder roll. You know, it could be like a really easy one because it doesn't require a lot of strength, but does require some control, some, some, uh, some technical like awareness. Uh, but it's definitely something you can get done in the first session and then, oh, 
I learned a skill that like looks cool. So cool. Emotional win happens in someone's first, first lesson. But can you recreate that every single class? And you know, that's like a challenge as a coach and something even as a coach that you're like, oh, that's, that's something really hard to overcome, right? Is like, can I, because theoretically, not everyone's going to have an emotional win every single class. Sometimes people are going to have bad classes. And so we engineer bands that, as you said, give something, someone outside of just getting better at parkour, because you get emotional wins as you get better at parkour and you, you complete challenges. But if, I'm, if I don't feel like I'm getting enough meaningful emotional wins, that's a big one. It's, oh, yeah. like, it's like a recognition of like, I've achieved a new level that I didn't have before. Well, and especially for the yellow band, is like, it's not very hard to get yellow band. Like, yeah. as long as you're exposed to all the skills, you can probably get yellow band like super easily. Mm-hmm. In fact, most physically competent people will be able to get yellow band as long as I just show you what the move is, and then you can mm-hmm. probably do it. Um, so that's like a first kind of key emotional win. Orange band gets a little bit more challenging, but is still pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like the first two levels, it's, it's pretty hard to fail them. Mm-hmm. Like orange band, you could, you could definitely fail it. Yellow band, it's possible to fail it, but it's unlikely. And then the red band, that's where it actually gets pretty like challenging to pass because you have to actually know how to, how to do moves well. Um, and then obviously beyond red band, it gets really challenging. So, um, I do think that there's, there's a lot of value to the emotional win because like you said, you're not going to get it every class. And actually it's the mark of a good coach to notice when people aren't having a good class and be able to get them an emotional win, either by coaching them through whatever movement it is, or I think is in a much easier way to do it is just change the task for them. Mm-hmm. Because you change the task, they can have an emotional win there and it's gonna be a better, they totally shift their mindset and give them a better experience for the rest of the class. And that is the mark of a really good coach because you could see, you, you, you need to be able to read somebody having a really problematic experience and then recognize it and then accurately um, uh, prescribe a movement or a task that's going to give them the emotional win, whether that's helping helping them on the thing they're already on or just changing it completely. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think one of the flaws that um, I know I know I had for the longest time with coaching parkour was it was about it was really about trying to achieve a standard. And I didn't always expect people to get to the standard I had for like the cleanliness of a move or just understanding how it works or achieving a move or a challenge. Uh, but that's what it was about. It was just about like a very, very technical minded. Um, but when I switched to trying to get people to have a good time, <laughs> have, an, have emotional wins, um, I think, well, one, it, it made coaching kids a lot easier for sure. Um, because trying to coach kids and trying to get them to get to a standard, which happens over time. Like you need to, you need to build up, like getting those emotional wins, gets them to come back, right? Getting them to have a good time, gets them to come back. And then eventually like through X amount of visits, you can achieve the, the technique, which I think if you're passionate about parkour and coaching it, that's what you want to get. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, you said this a long time ago and it really stuck with me and I apply this to every part of my life now, 
but um, low expectations, high standards. And I think this is actually what you're getting at. It's like, yeah, low expectations for what the students are able to do, but high standards for what is really good quality movement. And I feel like you could still apply that in this scenario here because if you, so if your goal is to get to the high standard movement, it might just take a longer process to get there. But as long as you have that as the end goal, um, the end end goal, then that is kind of your north star, but there's plenty of stops along the way where you can give emotional wins for the kids. Like, oh, you landed on it and you didn't fall off? That's amazing, really good job. You kept your balance. Did they land on the ball of their foot? Or did they land on their heels? Did you, you know, okay. Give them the emotional win where it's due because they did something that was already a little bit challenging. That gives them a good experience for the class then maybe the next class or the next activity you can apply a little bit more strict standard to get them to, to do it a little bit better. But you shouldn't be like, um, you shouldn't be detracting from the win that they got. Right? Mm -hmm. And I, I say this all the time to people in classes when, when they're being like really strict on themselves or like kind of like, oh, like, oh I stuck it but it wasn't clean. It's like, take the win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's okay like you got there you know it wasn't perfect but you got there take the win be happy about it and then mm -hmm. you can kind of it's good that you have the high standard but make sure that you're taking the win because you'll have a better experience yeah um oh, there's, there's one there's one more thing i wanted to touch okay, on um, just to kind of wrap this up because uh this this is enough for i think for one episode but i think just like the getting into like the problem with gyms um is is a big topic and like it would actually really help us out a lot if you, if you leave a comment and let us know if there's anything we talked about a bit today that you have more questions about because i'm sure we're not covering everything but the last little little piece i actually wanted to talk about was uh the amount of products that a gym offers um being Ooh, big one. being one of the sources of the problems and you actually tried to um uh, when we ha we talked about this talk yeah <laughs> um you brought up something because um we, we do have other products than just parkour. When I say products, I mean services. So if your product's being your services, how many services do you offer? And so one of the issues that I see, uh, one of the problems I see parkour gyms coming into is they end up being MISC gyms. So it's not just parkour, it's parkour, it's ninja. Sometimes it's circus also. Um, sometimes it's daycare. <laughs> Aerial silks. Yeah. There's so many things, and I, yoga. or martial arts, right? There's so many different services. I get that there's so many different services you can offer in a parkour gym. And actually, when we opened Origins, it initially was, well, it was Vancouver Parkour Facility, and then I quickly changed it to Origins. But it was Origins Parkour and Athletic Facility because at the time, I was doing a lot of personal training. And I was into, like, strength and conditioning. And I was like, oh, maybe we can get teams in here and just do some sort of parkour inspired strength and conditioning or whatever, or, you know, maybe we, I just had all these different well, we ideas. We have a weight of, gym, right? So like. Yeah, but we like building the rock wall and stuff too, which barely gets used now. Um, it's just kind of like this thing we have. But it, the idea when we opened, because I was modeling off of some existing parkour spaces, was that it couldn't just be a parkour space. It needed to be, I think the only space really doing just parkour at the time was actually Parkour Visions. That was the only, the only space that was like, we just do part, maybe they were doing a bit of Ninja Warrior too. I can't remember, but um, neither here nor there. 
at the time, I my belief was that parkour alone wouldn't be enough, and over time, we have built it to be enough. Short of, and you said this, tricking and flips. Yeah, we and, offer tricking and flips <laughs> classes. And we have Joe that comes in and does hand balancing yes. classes. And... <laughs> I mean, we have a weight training facility, so people mm-hmm. come in sometimes just to use that, mm-hmm. although fewer now because we have changed our membership model. Right. So the difference, I think, is if you're giving prime real estate to these other things, you're taking away from your ability to build a really strong parkour product, and you got to decide what kind of business you want to be. So you can be successful as a diversified business. Like, it's, it's possible. So again, if, you're, if you don't like your parkour gym, um, this could be one of the reasons. They could be diversifying too much. And Multi-purpose facility yeah. instead of yeah, parkour gyms. Yeah, you could gym. absolutely be di- diversifying too and much. This, this is what gets to me is that a lot of parkour gyms mm-hmm. don't call themselves parkour gyms. Yeah, movement. movement is par- yeah. They call it movement yeah. schools or facilities or mm-hmm. training centers, movement yeah. training centers. It, it saddens me because it's like you don't believe parkour can make it. Yeah, you know, you don't believe parkour is enough, um, and I get like we just need more gyms to prove that it can be enough, right? Yeah, um, that it can be the the central product. It's I, I wouldn't, and I I, I basically I, I would discourage if you're opening a gym or starting a program, I would discourage diversifying as like your way of opening. I I think it actually makes more sense to go all in on one product and then later decide, okay, maybe. Um, Maybe we want to move into a bigger space, or maybe we want to, you know, in, See, and scale in some way. And so, because when you diversify, you're scaling. And so, do you yeah. scale by do you scale by just making your product better and then serving it to more people, or do you scale by diversifying? Yeah, and I, I've seen some some gyms that have opened up in the U.S. that are massive facilities, and it's like, can should parkour be the entire thing there? I don't think so. I think oftentimes it makes sense to have a more um, it's a multi-purpose center yeah. because if you, you're just if you have a I don't know thirty thousand square foot facility, should you have thirty thousand square feet of parkour? I think not. I think that's overkill, and you should potentially separate it out into different programming. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I've um, I've thought about this with in the future if we wanted to scale and open up like another bigger because we opened up a small space uh, which. I don't regret, but I don't, I don't think it was the right opportunity. It was an opportunity that, that I took, but I don't think it was the right one. Um, but I've, we've made the most of it, right, having the Port Moody studio. But I think the, um, the right move would actually be opening up something comparable to uh, the Main Street Gym. And I've, I've thought about, like, how big of a space, right? And it's like, I actually think that Origins... I think you could go a little bigger, but not much. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can maybe tag on like another thousand square feet, but you don't even need to, and it's probably not even optimal. Um, it just, sometimes you don't have a choice, you know, like you, this, there could be in your area as you're looking for real estate, there could be a 3,000 square feet place, and there could be a 7,000. And 3,000 is too small, and 7,000 is too big, but you gotta decide, like, okay, this is way too small, so I need to go for the big one and just, you know, try to fill it, which is where, you know, diversifying may become necessary, but I think it's, I don't think it's good for like particularly a new business to, to diversify right away. Um, I think it's a mistake. I think they should, I think if it's, if parkour is going to be the central focus, make it the central focus, give it a go again. Maybe that means extending, 
the period of time that you think you need to invest for. But I think that's the the long term win and the better play. And and I think Origins is is becoming a testament to that. I don't. I'm trying not to. <laughs> I want to be. I want to become more successful before I start. You know, really <laughs> making these like. The, the tenants of, of how to have like a, uh, a, a great parkour gym business. But, but I think we're on our way. It's looking good. It's <laughs> looking good so far. Um, recession pending. Recession pending. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. Um, we're going to be recession proof, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think that's, that's the goal. Hey, I'm going to make uh, that's that's going to be like in five years from now, you know, I'll have a, a build a recession proof uh, parkour gym. It'll be that'll be the uh, the online program that you can sign up for. <laughs> yeah. In uh, in 50 different languages. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just in case. Um, okay, so I think that's uh, all the time we really have today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good discussion. Um, let us know in the comments below uh, if you found any of this useful. Uh, if you have any more questions regarding any of the topics that we covered today, leave us a like and share this with somebody that you think would get value out of it. Um, that'd be really helpful for us in growing our channel and our podcast. Thanks a lot for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.